You're listening to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. Danny and Jason had many discussions and debates on the back porch while making pivotal investment moves with assets. That's right, with trading cards. They welcome you to the back porch and right into those discussions about current sports news with a fresh and unique twist. So come on and join us. Welcome to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason. This is your co-host, Danny. And we have a packed show for you today, fans. First, a quick shout out to Lee Elder as today the Masters Golf Tournament starts. And then a little bit about the NCAA Championship Games, Major League Baseball and their All-Star Game, UFC News, Drew Holiday gets that money. A little bit about the NFL and a very intriguing trading card scenario. But first, you have to shout out Mr. Lee Elder as the Masters Golf Tournament starts today, and he participated in the opening ceremony. Man, this was just something long overdue, Danny. Yes. Sports fans, if you haven't checked out our podcast, our clip on uh, Lee Elder, before we ask that you go ahead and do so uh, as it kind of goes through through the history of Mr. Lee Elder, uh, the first black man to play in the Masters golf tournament. And today he was honored uh, by playing, uh, participating in the opening ceremony. And Payne College has scholarships in his name, which opened up the door to starting a female all-women golf team. So, man, this was just a very, very great day. And if you don't know the story of Mr. Lee Elder, how he traveled the world in difficult times, especially in South Africa during the apartheid, some would call it apartheid uh, era, man, he took the game of golf and really bridge the gap and his story is absolutely phenomenal so if you haven't checked mr lee elder out uh his story i I ask that you please do so because it it was definitely a lesson a whole lot of life lessons in his story and now to the ncaa championship games danny let's first start off with the women and where oh man a very close game uh, and it was this very, very tight game throughout. So what are your thoughts on that game? Leading up to that game, the final four games were just as tough where Arizona beat UConn, pulled the upset there, and Stanford survived South Carolina. South Carolina, for those who you, of you who did not watch the games, the final four games, that game was back and forth and – South Carolina stole the ball right at the end and had two opportunities at the bucket and couldn't finish. So then Stanford moves on to play Arizona. They had Arizona down around 9, 10, pretty much that whole game. And Arizona got hot and brought it all the way back. There again, had an opportunity to win it at the end. And McDonald, they, they threw the bodies at her, man. And yeah, sure did. The point guard and Stanford – has all that length. They have some tall girls. Haley Jones is one of them. 
one of their star players, and they threw like three players at her, and she almost hit the shot at the end. Mm-hmm. And let me just say, McDonald in that semifinal game against the UConn Huskies, man, she was just giving it to them. Yes. 26 points in that game. Yes. I mean, the step back threes. I mean, she was just on fire mm-hmm. against UConn. And so much so, I would just say this. The fact that the NCAA left them out of the Final Four video. There's only four teams in the Final Four. And they left out the Arizona Wildcats in in that video. So Arizona definitely had a chip on their shoulder. Uh, and McDonald just absolutely destroyed UConn in that semifinal game, man. Stanford ended up winning by one. Definitely a great Final Four from the women's side of things. And then men's, Jason, I'll let you kick it off on the men's side. And look here. Danny, you and I were right. You and I were right. Even off offline of the podcast, we both said, if you throw some bodies, some athletic bigs, against Timmy down low. Mm-hmm. We really wanted to see what that matchup would look like. And, oh, did Baylor throw some bodies at Timmy down low? Yes. The athletic bigs really got to him, man. I mean, they extended their offensive set uh, further out, which made it difficult for Timmy to really uh, catch up, on, especially on the dive to the baskets, man. So off pick and roll, pick and dives and all, Timmy could not hang with them because they extended the offensive set. And yep. so we saw this coming, Danny. We, it was just a matter of which team would go ahead and do this. Yep. Not only that, but Baylor's defense in general was wicked from opening tip. Listen, I saw the first two minutes. I was like, man, this is going to be a long night for Gonzaga. It's going to be a long night for the first two minutes. I was like, oh, my Lord. Didn't it remind you of 40 Minutes of Hell? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Arkansas with Nolan Richardson. Yeah, Ty Day and those boys. Yeah, it it really did, man. I mean, they were just they were hungry for it. You know, some people would give the excuse for Gonzaga. You know, they extended a lot of energy in that semifinal game. Mm-hmm. Overtime, last second, you know, second shot, uh, along with just the whole fact of the emotional roller coaster, if you will, in the semifinal game. This is for the championship. It just seemed to me that Gonzaga just hadn't faced a team really like Baylor throughout the season. Tired or not, from opening tap, I mean, come on, man. Yep, and this was to an advantage to Baylor because they didn't play during the season. mm -hmm. So they really didn't get to see that speed. Oh. That those guards from Baylor. Oh, man, it was just. (laughs) It looked like there were 10 dudes out there on the court as fast as they were flying around there all over Gonzaga. The ball deflections, the whole nine, the forced turnovers that turned into buckets, easy buckets for Baylor uh, at, you know, at jump. So. Man, this was a blowout from beginning to end. I just saw the body language in the first two minutes. And I, like I said, Gonzaga, I think, thought this is going to be a long night. I thought the same, too. It's going to be a long night for them. So mm-hmm. congratulations to 
Baylor on their first national championship for men's basketball. And congratulations to Jared Butler, who was actually uh, the most outstanding player of the uh, Final Four. He had an awesome, awesome game, uh, championship game with 22 points. Uh, and that team, again, if they all stay together next year, watch out. Yep. Those boys can shoot the three, too. It oh. wasn't just defense. They could shoot. They really showed up. So, uh, again, congratulations to the Baylor Bears. And now on to the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, which uh, has been changed location-wise from Atlanta, Georgia, to uh, Denver, Colorado. This is a case in where Major League Baseball really uh, goes into the consciousness of the United States of America. Some has indicated uh, for many years that Major League Baseball is the sport of choice. Uh, it's in the fabric of the United States. And just as, in a sense, this pastime of America is in the fabric of the United States, so is that of voting rights. And the main reason and why the change of the Major League Baseball All-Star Game was moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Denver, Colorado was because of Georgia's new state law, SB 202, that really has changed how voting happens in the state. Commissioner Rob Manfred actually put a statement out, and I quote, Major League Baseball fundamentally supports voting rights for all Americans and opposes restrictions to the ballot box. In 2020, Major League Baseball became the first professional sports league to join the nonpartisan civic alliance to help build a future in which everyone participates in shaping the United States. We proudly used our platform to encourage baseball fans and communities throughout our country to perform their civic duty and actively participate in the voting process. Fair access to voting continues to have our game's unwavering support. Uh, one other quote here, and this is from the Players Alliance. Uh, as they issued a, sub, a statement in support of the, the decision to move the All-Star game, and their quote is, we want to make our voice heard loud and clear in, op in our opposition of the recent Georgia legislation that not only disproportionately disenfranchises the black community, but also paves the way for other states to pass similarly harmful laws based largely on widespread falsehoods and disinformation. While we support, while we will support those in need in whichever city the game is ultimately relocated to, we will also uphold our commitment to those Georgians we've already planned to serve. We will use our voice, our platform, and our partnerships now more than ever to create real tangible change for the black community to stand up for every American's right to vote. So again, this is where politics crosses that of force. And so in looking at what new, the changes are in voting in the state of Georgia. I mean, there's there's a breakdown of a lot of the aspects here, and we just wanted to highlight just a few, and we 
encourage you all to do your, your own research and make up your own mind about what Major League Baseball has done and really, quite frankly, what the rest of the country, those who are really opposed to uh, the changes um, that's really happening. We really encourage you to do your own uh, research. We looked at how voters will now have less time um, to really request absentee ballots and where it has, go it has gone down from 180 days to 78 days. ID requirements for absentee ballots. You have mobile voting centers. They're basically banned at this point in time. The ballot was available to registered users, excuse me, registered voters. It seems like now things are being refined a lot more here. And the number of people who voted increased. And so it just seems odd, in my opinion, that when the numbers of voters increased or the percentage of voters increased, that you now kind of go with the restrictions or the changes. I mean, early voting is expanded in a lot of small counties, but in more populous ones, not as much. I mean, early voting uh, goes in some in a lot of instances from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. 5 p.m. is when people actually get off of work. So how are you going to make it in line in time to cast their vote, their early vote at that? I mean, there's this wide range. And yes, there may be options and where it can be ruled that the early voting is extended by the registrar or the absentee ballot clerk or, or whomever else uh, under the law. But one has to really be conscious of whether or not that clerk would actually extend it. That's the key. So uh, it's just a lot in here. And then uh, what you probably have heard on the news about uh, food or water to voters standing in line now is at risk of a misdemeanor charge. Um, if within 150 feet of the outer edge of any building within which a polling place is established or uh, within any polling place or within 25 feet of any voter standing in line to vote at any polling place. Representatives already in, in the state of Georgia have indicated they will not charge people for providing water and food. I just want to get your immediate thoughts here. I think first off, Jason, from the sports angle, this was the all-star game where Hank Aaron was going to be honored. Exactly. In Atlanta and for them to move it, I was going back and forth on it. As you look at it, this is a very complex, like you said, it's enriched in politics, which our show is not around politics. So that's where I, I agree for people to do their own research because there's a lot going on there that is open to your interpretation, to your interpretation. So make sure you do the, the background checks and everything on not just Georgia, but other states as well. I think it's one of those things where you move it and I, I get where they're coming from, from the MLB perspective. The other side of it too was you stay in Atlanta and then you bring more attention to, to it as well. So both sides I can see because they're making a stand. Some people are speculating that Manfred just got pressured by people to do it versus just doing it. Um, but that being said, I think it could have been both ways. They could have kept it in Atlanta if there are protests or it would gave people an opportunity as well to have their voice voices heard based on this new bill. So 
I think all the things that were laid out that you laid out, definitely there's a lot more to it even than what you mentioned. That calls into question some of the reasons why they signed this bill into, into law. Ultimately, though, from my perspective, I think it's, it's just shining a light on something and not letting it just get swept under the rug. As long as they're planning to still do what they're planning to do for the state of Georgia um, with the All-Star Game going to Georgia, I think that is a win from that perspective. And even going to Colorado, they're planning to do some things as well. So, Yeah, and to add to that, so one of the things when it was first announced that the game was going to be moved to Colorado, one of the things that really came to mind was, okay, well, this effort of changing the voting laws is going widespread across the country. Mm-hmm. So what does Colorado offer voting wise versus that of Georgia? And one thing of note here is that yes, Georgia is going to have 17 days of in-person, in-person early voting compared to Colorado having 15 days, but you have to really look at the overall aspect here in the state of Colorado every registered voter receives a mail ballot by default. In Georgia, people who would want a vote by mail must apply. And in a sense, the new law more than halves that time. So previously it was 180 days before the election. Now it's like 78 days. In Colorado, eligible voters can register anytime, including on election day. In Georgia, the deadline to register Uh, to vote is a month prior to the election day. So again, there's this, yes, the in-person voting aspect, okay, but you have to look at the overall aspect uh, between the states in terms of the ease to vote, the accessibility to vote, Mm -hmm. uh, things of that nature. And so in Colorado, Voters can use their birth certificate, naturalization document, a Medicare or Medicaid card, utility bill, bank statement, paycheck, or another government document that shows their name and address. In Georgia, only a photo ID is acceptable for regular mail-in ballots. So, again, you have to look at the overall aspect here in Colorado Mm-hmm. Uh, there are like 368 ballot drop boxes uh, last year across 64 counties. And those boxes were open and available 24 hours a day at schools, at parks, libraries, businesses, and more. In the state of Georgia, uh, this new law re- would require at least one drop box in each of the 159 counties. But it would only be at registrars and in absentee ballot clerk's offices or inside early voting sites and open open during limited hours. So again, you have to look at the overall and as a, as a result of what Colorado has done last year, Colorado had the second highest turnout rate in the country at 76.4% of eligible voters, only behind Minnesota. Georgia was 26 with a turnout rate of 67.7% of eligible voters. So again, you have to look at the overall aspect of the comparison of the states Mm -hmm. um, 
and all. And I got some of those facts from various articles, uh, one being New York Times. It's just interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how this really shapes up in the sports world. But I will tell you, voters across the nation are reacting to this. All I can say is stay tuned. Do your own respective research. Major League Baseball is part of Civic Alliance. And Civic Alliance, uh, again, is a nonpartisan alliance. And in looking at their website, they empower our U.S. employees with resources and workplace policies to participate civically, encourage our American audiences to participate in elections and be civically active. And they also champion civic resiliency and stand up for democracy. Also off of their website is their ambitious goal of 80% voter turnout. That is what the Major League Baseball is attached to. And there are several, several businesses that you definitely have heard of uh, participating as part of the Civic Alliance as well. So again, please do your own research and, and go from there. And Danny, now to UFC 260. Francis Nagano and Stipe Miocic battled it out. This is the second time they faced off. Man, history was made when Francis Nagano just completely knocked out Miocic uh, viciously. Yes. <laughs> that left <laughs> hand was no joke, Jay. <laughs> he caught him ugly. So Danny Nagano's story is just fascinating. It really makes you appreciate what you have. He starts off in Cameroon, uh, walks to and from school two hours. But then in his mid-20s, he leaves Central Africa by foot uh, on his own and embarked on this 14-month trek north that wouldn't end until the American Red Cross uh, got him from a raft, and that's a waterway between Morocco and Spain. And this is coming from an ESPN article. Uh, but man, this is listening to the story during the uh, UFC 260. Man, it was just really fascinating, man. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I can see this being a story. Uh, but when he won the UFC 260, it really reminded me, and I'm just going to use this analogy. Mm -hmm. Remember when? Hulk Hogan beat Andre the Giant in WrestleMania back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Take them up and slammed them yep. at, at WrestleMania. And just how the sport shifted, mm -hmm. I think to some degree, this is a shift as well in what Nagano has done to make this a global championship. I mean, I remember seeing people in Cameroon celebrating when he won. Mm -hmm. So those who weren't into UFC back then they're interested now because he's the champion hey, amen this is just a great story congratulations to uh Nagano yes agree Jason and by the way you, you see who's trying to get get a fight with him John Bones, Bones Jones <laughs> <laughs> man so, that would be whew, that's gonna be interesting yes the predator After Francis nickname the predator that boy is one of the hardest hitting dudes I've seen. So I would I would definitely entertain watching that. Oh, I'm definitely gonna watch that. 
And now Drew Holiday got paid, Danny. Drew Holiday got paid four years, $160 million. But of that, about $134, $135 million of that is guaranteed. The remaining incentive-based and where probably NBA finals or winning a championship is part of that incentive. And this is very interesting, Danny, because when was the last time we have seen a contract like this or heard of a contract like this in where there's incentives built in for an NBA contract? Jason, guess who the only person I know of that did it? Who's that? Drew Holiday Mm. with the Pelicans. And one of the good things about Drew Holiday is that he has uh, given some of his money to Black-owned businesses um, to really help them out. But this is interesting. I'm really wondering if this is going to start a trend moving forward. Maybe GMs are looking at this like, huh, maybe we should provide more incentives in our contracts to our our players. I'm pretty certain that the NBA – Players Association is like, what the hell? <laughs> yep. Don't get don't don't open the door. Don't open the door, Drew Holiday, but it's open. Whether or not some of these players are gonna I mean, are gonna take an incentive-based contract, that's something to really watch out for moving forward. You know me. I'm like for Milwaukee Bucks, let's go all in. If you need to go over the luxury tax, let's go ahead and do it because you got to keep some of these players in house. As a result of this contract, Giannis's contract, the Supermax deal, and of course with Middleton, when you look at next year's roster and their their contracts, they're already at about $144 million. Mm-hmm. And again, these are, as of right now, of course, there are a couple of players with a team and player options, that being Bobby Portis with a player option at $3.8 million, and then Mordonius uh, Kyrx, uh at a team option at $1.8 million. And then there's a couple other contracts uh, for those who left, Larry Sanders being one and John Luer uh, being another that we still have to pay out. Taking up for next year's roster, and the projected luxury tax line is at $137 million. So we're already looking at a team possibly over that luxury tax line. But look at what we what we have, Danny. Mm-hmm. We have kind of like a big three. Yep. We have them in-house. They, they looked at the culture. They looked at the environment. They've experienced it. And they are in line with it because Giannis is here, the anchor, you have Milton, and then now you have Drew Holiday. You have that nucleus big three, yep. and it's competitive. And so when you have that, when you get a player in free agency and they experience that, man, you got to lock them in. You have yes. to lock them in while you have them, especially in a small market team such as Milwaukee. And especially yeah. because if he would have walked, they would have had to offer him five years, $228 million. Come on, man. I think this was a right move by the Milwaukee Bucks. And here's the other thing about it, Danny. It's something about the West Coast trip that the Milwaukee Bucks goes ahead and extends a contract. Mm-hmm. They did the same thing with Eric Bledsoe. 
<laughs> they did the same thing here with Drew Holiday, man. So something about that West Coast road trip that really bodes well for getting an extension uh, from the Milwaukee Bucks. But nonetheless, uh, we have uh, those three, the big three locked in. Danny, what are your thoughts about the big three? Do you think this is going to be good enough for years to come to get over the hump? I think, Jason, you know how I felt about Drew Holiday. And I thought they should have went after him. They did. So I was excited to see him come in because Bledsoe just didn't bring it in the playoffs. And that's what they were lacking. They needed a strong point guard to bring it on both ends of the floor. And Drew Holiday has that experience in the in the Western Conference, mind you. Mm-hmm. So he's been battle-tested that way. He's a level-headed dude. I think that three, and as long as they keep decent pieces around those three, they're going to be con- in contention in the East every year with that those three, mm-hmm. barring any injuries or anything crazy happening. So I definitely like the move. I think – that was you had to, and you were kind of what you gave up for him. You had to pay him, mm-hmm. and he's proven his worth. I know he was out for you know COVID protocols and everything for a little bit this year, but otherwise, he's coming into his own. He's getting comfortable on the offense, and there's no reason this team should make Eastern Conference Finals and or the NBA championship each year in the East. Mm-hmm based on those three and what they put around them. So now if they don't put, they put a whole bunch of junk around them, then it's a different story. But this team this year, they should, they should be battling for the Eastern conference finals for sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And now Danny, we have an interesting discussion about the NFL It's going to be a little bit different here. Uh, We're going to talk actually about ownership in the NFL and what is coming out of, Oakland, California, and where you have a group called the African-American Sports and Entertainment Group vying for a piece of the Oakland Coliseum and where what they're looking to do is to actually bring football back to Oakland. Obviously, the Oakland Raiders went ahead and moved to Las Vegas, and that left the Oakland fans uh, pretty much uh, out of the mix. Uh, bottom line, they didn't want to pay for uh, a stadium, update the stadium, and they meaning the uh, city of Oakland. The Raiders decided to leave. And so with that, again, they left the Oakland fans kind of uh, standing there. Uh, so it's kind of about business. Mm-hmm. But with the move comes an opportunity here. In the African-American Sports and Entertainment Group, A-A-S-E-G. They're looking to do not only that, get a portion of Oakland Coliseum because the city owns uh, part of Oakland Coliseum. But they're looking to, and looking off of their website, Danny, it's it's absolutely phenomenal, actually, man. They want an NFL team there. They're talking about a combination of a new stadium and convention center in that whole area in where uh, it's mixed use. Uh, you have your restaurants, bar, grills, whatever the case may be, and also living. They're also talking about a WNBA team because on that property is also where the Warriors used to play. Mm-hmm. But then also you're talking about the WNBA team. You're talking about Sports and Entertainment Hall of Fame, an academic center, 
And so all these things is what the AASEG is looking to do. But one of the things that I found interesting, and I just did not know this, Danny, when you talk about NFL ownership, the NFL requires you to be one specific owner, not a group. Mm-hmm. And I just did not know that. It's, it's interesting because when you talk about things in, in the past over the years and where there's been a battle of of more minority groups becoming owners or becoming more involved in ownership or becoming uh, executors of a franchise in the NFL, you're talking about wealth. And so therefore the conversation comes up again about the wealth gap or whatever the case may be. And for one thing you have to, we have to remember here is that in order to become an executor of a franchise in the NFL or owner in the NFL, it has to be approved by the other owners in the NFL. Yes. And so in looking at some documentation here off of uh, even off of the undefeated here, it says there's a rule by the NFL NFL ownership rules state that only individuals can own teams with a controlling owner holding at least 30% stake in the team under those rules, NFL owners, if they were to consider the AASEG plan that was first presented to them last year would have to make an exception because that is the AASEG again is a group. Hmm. So man, this is going to be interesting to really look at, but just as we're talking about this AASEG quietly as kept Dave Stewart from the Oakland athletics submitted a bid of $115 million to buy Oakland's share of the Coliseum site with his goal of developing it and potentially building a new stadium. So this is something to really kind of look out for in the future here. For those who don't know, uh, Dave Stewart, phenomenal, phenomenal player, man, for the Oakland Athletics back in the day. My God. Won Won a championship. Man, brought the heat, brought the smoke, man. Golly, he just had that high kick, leg kick, and would just fire off the ball. And, man, he was just uh, something to behold. Helped the Athletics win a world championship. He submitted a bid. So, again, Danny, this is really something to watch out and look out for uh, because it's going to be interesting to see how the NFL reacts to this. Yes. And really, is, will this open the door for a group mm-hmm. moving forward? There's also been talks about the NFL expanding teams, the number of teams. So we're yes. talking about, obviously, London, maybe other places. I mean, Mexico City. I mean, they played down in Mexico City before. Other places. I mean, will San Antonio, Austin be a place? Will, uh, will San Diego buy for another i mean there may be some opportunity here uh moving forward so i think this right here in oakland is something to really keep your eye on uh in terms of nfl expansion and now danny we have a very intriguing (laughs) trading card scenario today man i'm looking forward to this one what you got so the trading card scenario tonight jason is joe dumars 
1986 Fleer rookie card for Clay Thompson's 2012 Panini Prism rookie card. A couple quick bios. Joe D was the 18th pick out of McNeese State by the Detroit Pistons. He averaged in his career 16 points, four assists, and a steal. Hall of Famer, six-time All-Star, two-time NBA champion with the Pistons, three-time All-NBA, five-time All-Defensive Team, one-time Finals MVP. Klay Thompson was the 11th pick out of Washington State by the Golden State Warriors. He averages 19 points, three rebounds, two assists, and a steal. Five-time All-Star, three-time NBA champ, two-time All-NBA, one-time All-Defensive Team. So, Jason... Who do you want in your portfolio? Danny, this was a very difficult one. I still haven't made my mind up, but I'm going to talk it through. We're talking about Joe Dumars, who from McNeese State became an NBA champion not once but twice and was a finals MVP in, in one of them. So Detroit Bad Boys. Just a hard defender, man. I mean, we're talking about Joe Dumars, who defended the best player in NBA history, Michael Jordan. And so when you talk about the Jordan rules, Joe Dumars was right in the middle of it. As quiet as he is, man, he spoke loud on the court defensively. Mm Five-time all-defensive team. We grew up in that era. Yep. So in my mind, I already know how Joe Dumars played. But, man, watching some of the highlights again, man, the mid-range jumper was on lock for Joe Dumars, man. I mean, he was lethal. He could take you inside. He could take you outside. Mid-range, three-point. I mean, come on, man. He just was a great, great player. We're talking about the NBA that at back then where the three-point line wasn't as prominent if you will as it is uh in today's game but i'm just looking at some of his percentages from three i mean his last year in the in his career he shot 40 percent from three man there were times where he shot 43 percent from three 40 percent from three m- multiple times 48 percent from three in one year even though the three-point attempts were low but he still was you know making them and the reason why i'm going to the three-point line is because man when you talk about clay thompson danny when you talk about clay thompson you are talking about just a three-point threat you're talking about catch and shoot no matter where on a court man he is part of arguably the best backcourt in nba history between him and steph curry Mm -hmm. and their nickname is the Splash Brothers for a reason. For a reason, Danny. I mean, look, when you talk about, I mean, when you talk about three-point percentage in his career, Clay Thompson is averaging 42% from three. And when you think about that, you have to really think about a person changing the game. When you think about these two players, Joe Dumars, and Clay Thompson, Danny, Clay Thompson has changed the game. Look at, look at the Warriors right now without Clay Thompson on the floor. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing how defenses are really collapsing on, obviously, Steph Curry. Uh, but with Clay it, Thompson was in the game, you're talking about a dramatic shift in terms of how 
teams are playing the Golden State Warriors because it's extending the court out, which makes it a lot makes, makes for a lot more room for Golden State to operate. Mm-hmm. Completely has changed the game, and for that, I gotta go with Clay Thompson, Danny. Three championships is greater than two, and yes, the bad boys era was something to behold. Shut down Michael Jordan at times, or was able to contain him. But Clay Thompson has helped change the game of basketball moving forward. I can't say that about what the bad boys have done. What Clay Thompson has done in his career from jump, from three-point line, is mind-boggling. And for that, in my portfolio, I'm going to have to have Clay Thompson. Man, I thought for sure you were taking Joe Dumars. <laughs> Joe Dumars, he was a great player. He's a Hall of Famer. And the battles, watching the Pistons and the teams he was a part of are historic. Those bad boy teams are historic with Rodman, Isaiah Thomas, Mahorn, Lane Beer, Sally, Aguirre came when he was later in his career. And you just think of Joe Dumars, man. And like you said, his, his game was so multidimensional and he was always on the top player defensively every game. And then you go to Clay, and the thing that sticks out to me, and I'm talking about cards here too, some uh, career, and I'll get to the cards in a second. Mm-hmm. But you think of Clay Thompson, and I think of that game when he had 37 and a quarter. Come For on, one, <laughs> whoever was playing defense on him should have been walked off the court immediately. <laughs> how do you give up 37 and a quarter to one person? And he had, he's had those moments. If you remember in the Oklahoma City Thunder series against when Russ Westbrook and KD were together, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Clay was turn, just catching the ball two steps from half court, turn around and hitting threes. He saved them. He saved oh, them. Yes, he did. You are so right on that. Because that was what, game six maybe? Mm-hmm, yep. And I remember watching him, and I believe he put up 40. And – just and he's a great defender. Mm-hmm. He's not just a shooter. He he hits his free throws. He can hit mid range. He guards usually between him and Draymond. They guard the top players. I agree with you, man. This is this is a tough one. And then I start looking at the cards. And I'm like, dang, that Fleer '86, same year Jordan had his rookie card in Fleer, that '86 Jordan. And then I'm looking at that Panini Prism with Clay. Oh man, I'm gonna have to take Clay's car, man. <laughs> and the only reason I say that is because I still think he has, even though he's had some bad injuries these last couple of years, he still has a lot. His body has rested now because they had a lot of games they played over that championship run, that dynasty, mm-hmm. where, and he's not really a above the rim type player. So I think his game. Can still be good. I'm just curious how it would be on the defensive end. So right yeah. now, based on where we're at right now, I'm gonna take Clay Thompson's rookie card. And I always say this because I'm always hedging. But if he don't turn it around, I'll definitely take that Joe Dumars. <laughs> Cause I uh, that set, that Fleer set. So I would definitely take that card for whatever reason. If Clay's value goes down, we're gonna we'll come back to this and then I'll trade and get Joe Dumars from you. There you have it. 
Thank you for joining us at Back Porch Talk Podcast. You can also join us on Twitter by tweeting us at back underscore podcast. For more information, you can go to our website, which is backporchtalkpodcast.com. You can also email us at backporchtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for joining us. And remember that there's enough hate in the world. So go ahead and spread a little love.